The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Week. And then last Sunday was our missions conference, and so it's been about a month since we've been in this particular study about the anatomy of the church and uh, particularly about the office of a deacon. And so today we're going to do a little bit of a recap type of a message to kind of lay that runway again for us to take off from once more. We kind of land the plane for a bit, and we're going to lay that runway out there again and take off from it so we're all on the same page moving forward and uh, continuing on in this study as well. And so we're going to, with this office of the deacon. We've looked at uh, the role of the deacon and the requirements of the deacon, uh, but we're going to talk about the responsibilities here this morning as well. So I want to read just one verse to begin. We'll go back and read several other verses as well as we go along. So Acts chapter 6, if you give me that next, that back slide, Acts chapter 6 please, and verse number 3, and uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3 is where we're at here this morning. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we begin this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the fact that you are a holy God and worthy of our praise. And, and Lord, that's why we are studying this uh, series particularly, because we want our, our church to, um, uh, to reflect you rightly. We want to make sure that we are uh, accomplish, accomplishing what you set out for us to accomplish, and that we are acting in the ways that you'd have us to act, and, and uh, that we would not be a church in name only, but that we would be uh, functioning and uh, being able to acquire the things that you desire for us to function and acquire. Lord, I ask that you would be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. Give me the word to speak as I deliver the message here this morning, and we ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, as we've discussed a couple of weeks already about the uh, office of the deacon, we've, we've already understood, if you've been here, you understand the importance and how vital that role is. And we've got a couple of men that are serving as deacons right now, and I'm so thankful for their service and uh, for what they mean to our church. And uh, this, this deacon, this office of the deacon is not something that has been constructed so that we can just have a committee of individuals and for people to help throw their weight around or to make decisions, but we understand that if the church is going to function as God intended for them to fu- for it to function, it's going to have to have some men, some deacons set aside for service to accomplish that work. And so therefore, I can't emphasize enough, again, how important the role of, the, of a biblical deacon truly is within a church. And we've discussed the role of the deacon, we've discussed the requirements of the deacon up to this point, but this morning I want to look at these responsibilities. And as a springboard, we read verse 3 of chapter 6, and we're going to jump back into chapter 6 of Acts again, and we're going to look at why the deacons, again, just a reminder, why they were given, and look at some principles found there to find out their responsibilities, and then move right along even later on into some other portions of Scripture as we go. But uh, number one this morning, I want you to notice with me as we consider the responsibilities Responsibilities of a deacon. Notice with me the deacon's service. As we consider their responsibilities, we first note their service and read verses 1 through 4 with me again there in Acts chapter 6. It says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. 
Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we find here the first responsibility of a deacon, it deals with their service and, and how do they serve the Lord and minister to others as well. And these few verses in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, kind of give us some details. It gives us some characteristics and some input into several of their responsibilities. I notice first off when we consider a deacon's service that it ought to be a service of compassion. It ought to be a service of compassion because look at verse number 1 again. Verse number 1 says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Why? Because their widows were neglected in daily ministration. And so we find here that there was a very present and urgent need uh, that uh, had arisen within the church. There were some believers, there were some members that were being overlooked. They weren't being taken care of or ministered to in their way that they needed and that the Lord desired for them to be taken care of. And so there was obviously a need. Let me just pause here for a moment and give an aside as well. Uh, I mentioned this in the first service, and, and it's not in my notes, but I just feel like that it's, it's important that it be stressed and understood. That while there was individuals that weren't being ministered to specifically by a person with a title, all right, the pastor or church leadership, uh, there was definitely a need. We understand that. And there might be some in our church today that feel like, well, the pastor wasn't there for me or the deacon wasn't there for me or whatever. However, you have a, a godly uh, loved one or a godly friend within the church, another church member that is ministering to you and caring for you. That's a blessing as well. Listen, don't, just because they don't have a title doesn't mean that they're not a blessing and that God has not put that person in your life to help, all right? Remember, Scripture says, reminds us that we ought to bear one another's burdens. That's, that's not just for the preacher. That's not just for the deacons. That's for every believer. And so if you have someone in your life that's helping bear your burdens and care for you, that's a blessing. Don't overlook that. Now, obviously, there was a need here and a particular need that God was going to ordain and orchestrate for individuals to be risen up and to be used as in this form and fashion of deacons to be able to meet that. Uh, but hear, hear what I'm saying this morning. So we can be guilty of, of overlooking God's blessings in our life because it didn't come in the form that we wanted them. Uh, we, we didn't come in the form as what we expected them. And we just neglect the blessings and the care that He's given us otherwise. And so don't, don't let us ourselves fall into that trap. But we find that as, the, as these individuals, these, these uh, uh, church members were in need of ministering, the, there was a problem because the church leadership, the apostles, if you may, at the time, uh, they had a, a, another priority in their life. And their priority, the Bible says there in verse number two, to, 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 was the word of God. And in verse number four was prayer and ministry of the word. And so here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Was, did the church leadership, the apostles, did they not have compassion for the church? No, they had compassion for the church. They did. But they understood their role. They understood what they only could do and their gifting and their calling. And therefore, they said it would not be for the benefit of the church entirely 
If we stepped away from our studies of the Word of God, if we stepped away from our prayer time, if we stepped away from our ministering of the Word and preaching and declaring the Word for us to come and minister unto them, unto these and, and deal with these situations. And so therefore, we are all, I'm only one individual. I can only have so many hours in the day. I can only do so much. And I'm going to prioritize in my time the things that I've been called to and what matters most. Are they saying that people don't matter? Obviously not. They matter so much that they went to the Lord, and the Lord helped lead them to get other people involved, to come alongside of them and to partner with them. And that's where the deacons came into play. And so they found individuals that were going to be able to come alongside and partner with the pastors and be able to help and meet the needs of the church and minister with compassion where compassion was needed. Now, my friends, with that being said, um, if a deacon is going to be successful in their endeavoring of ministering, they have to be individuals who are able to live out compassion. I said earlier that every one of us have different gifts that the Lord has given us. There's different callings that the Lord has given us. Some are very gifted uh, in maybe like construction or mechanic mechanicry, and uh, therefore they're, they look at kind of, this is the problem, here's the solution, and here's how we're going to do it, all right? There's an issue, answer, completion, all right? Some people are gifted in like accounting or administration, right? Same thing. Here's a problem. Here's the answer. Here's the, the conclusion, the solution of it, right? Here's how we fix it. Because they are driven and focused on those things, sometimes they can come across as not having very much compassion. Because people that are in a, in a need, sometimes, yeah, they, they, they have a need and they need the answer and they need it fixed, but sometimes they just need somebody to come alongside them and say, it's going to be okay. But the person that I just, uh, uh, the person that I just, um, uh, uh, spoke about and kind of gave an example about, they're going to come along inside and say, okay, how do I fix this for you? And it's going to feel as it's not so compassionate. Well, as the, for, for the deacon, the deacon needs to be able to come along, not to say that they can't have an answer, not to say that they can't find a solution, but they also have to be able to come along and have compassion for the situation, for the scenario as well. A deacon must possess the ability to feel pain of others and to then, in turn, be compelled to action because of it. Not just because there's a need, not just because there's a problem, but because they feel the need as well before they ever enter into working the problem. So we find, number one, the deacon service is a service of compassion. Number two, we also see that the deacon service is not only a service of compassion, but it is a service of consistency. Because look at verse number one again. The last part of the verse says this, because their widows were neglected in the how long ministration? The daily ministration. Now, this isn't saying that the, every widow had a problem every single day, but in the grand scheme of the church, that daily there was issues, there was opportunities for ministering that needed to be, uh, be uh, taken care of. And unfortunately, there was days that were going by that were being neglected. And so when it comes to the responsibility of a, of a deacon and in, in his service, it's going to be a service of compassion. It's going to be a service of consistency as well because people don't have problems that arise on any given schedule, right? We don't schedule our problems. Okay, today I have work, and then tonight I have a dinner with, the, with my friends, and then Wednesday night I have church, and yeah, Thursday looks like a really good day to have problem arise. That's when, that's when we're going to do it. And so for a church to function well, 
it needs to have a, a, a um, diversity of individuals that have a diversity in a, of availability and a diversity of abilities as well to be able to meet all the different time needs, all the different reason needs that might come along as well. But we find that there was two different, uh, two specific groups that were involved here. It says there were murmurings of the Grecians against the Hebrews. And when the deacons were called to service, they were not called just to come and to say, You're, this group is right and this group is wrong. They weren't come to called to come alongside and say, well, I, I side with this group and I'm of this group. Or the others would say, I'm of this group. They were to come along and be consistent in their ministering, regardless of who the individual was. They would be consistent in ministering, no matter what group they most easily associated with. Can we be honest today? All of us have different personalities. And some personalities click better with other personalities. Let's be honest about it. Every single one of us today are not going to be best friends. If you knew me well enough, you wouldn't want to be my best friend, all right? We're not all going to be best friends. However, even though we're not best friends, doesn't mean that we can't treat each other equally with respect. A deacon is probably going to have people he's closer with within the church than others, and that's okay. Listen to me. That's okay. Well, pastor didn't invite me to his house. The deacon didn't invite me to his house. They liked so-and-so better. It's okay. Let me go back over here. <laughs> it's okay, all right? Hey, it's all right. People are going to have connections with others that they might not with other people. But that doesn't mean that we don't respect each other the same, that we don't care for each other the same. And that's, that's, the, that's the responsibility here of a deacon in their service. Their, their service is to be a service of compassion, a service of consistency. There ought to be a service of conformity as well. Because look at verse number three. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, notice this, this, these qualifications, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. So these individuals, because we, we, we've already dealt with their character and all that in weeks past, but it clearly says that they're to be sound men, spiritual men, seasoned men. We understand that. But the deacon was expected to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, don't, don't, don't miss the truth of this here, though, also, my friends. In Romans, the Bible tells us that God has already planned for every believer to be conformed into his image. That's, that's his goal. That's his desire for every believer. But particularly when it comes to the office of the deacon, the one who's going to fill that role, they need to exemplify to the best of their ability. Their life ought to be lived in such a way where daily, day in and day out, they are desiring to just to, to, to shine the light of Jesus through their life. Not have their own will, not have their own ways, but just trying to shine the light of Jesus through their life. But also notice, my friends, at the last part of verse number three, that the deacon's service is going to be a service of compassion, consistency, conformity. It also needs to be a service of condescension. Because verse number three says, whom we may appoint over this business. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you right now, all right? See how well you've been paying attention over the last couple of weeks and even today. What is the business that these men were going to be put over? I know what it was. It was so that they could sit on some high and lofty throne with a crown on their head and servants around them saying, 
Could I feed you some dra- grapes, sir? <laughs> that's, that's the business they were called to, right? Oh, no, I got it. They, they were called to be able to have their input in everything, that before we ever changed the color of the carpet, they had to sign off on it. I mean, they, had the, they, they were the ones that got to choose whether or not the toilet paper goes over or under, all right? That, that's, that's up to them, right? We already know the answer to that, folks, also, okay? Paper, the toilet paper goes over because beards are cool, mullets are not, all right? So that's all that, that's what it comes down to, all right? That's the truth. And so we, we don't even need to bring that up to a committee, but that is, the, that is not the business that they're called to. The business that the deacon is called to is not lording over God's people, The business that deacons are called to is that of servanthood. The church leaders said in verse number two, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and do what? Serve tables. So therefore, they chose seven men to serve tables. Now, obviously, they weren't serving tables like at Chili's or Applebee's. or It's a figure of a speech there, of course, but it, it, it does I mean, it does. I think if you think of a waiter or a waitress in our world today even, I mean, it kind of shows what is expected. I couldn't do that job. I have never worked as a waiter or a waitress. I could not do it. I could not work fast food. I couldn't do it. I've, I mean, we, just with the missionaries here recently, we took them out to, over to Mod Pizza, and we had, what, 20 of them? Was, was, I think there's 20 pizzas we ordered uh, over at Mod Pizza, right? And so we were all on this big line, and I'm like, okay, here's what, to, what, what I want you to do. I want you to order. I want you to go sit down. We'll, we'll get all the drinks. We'll get in and the missionaries couldn't even follow instructions, like, okay, <laughs> let alone, like, if I'm dealing with, I, I'm, I'm trying my best to, like, have a good attitude with them, let alone somebody I don't know if they're not following instructions. Man, I don't know. I couldn't do it, all right? We've taken, we've taken large groups out, and I watch waiters or waitresses take the order. They don't even use a ta- uh, any type of notepad. They remember everything, and don't mess anything up. That's talent right there. Uh, that's talent. I couldn't do it. Because not only are they dealing with the people at the table like me, all right, but they're also got to go back to the, to the back and deal with the cook. And some, somebody like me, I say, I want this, but I want it. Can you substitute this or that? And they go back, and they have to tell the cook to substitute this or that. And the cook says, that's not how we serve it. It comes this way. And so they, have to, they get it from both ends. And then they come back, and they serve still with a smile, happily, glad to do it. And listen, when we, go to the, when we go to the restaurant, we might give them a tip, but we don't stand up and applaud them. We don't stand up and pat them on the back. We don't crown them with a crown on their head because we just expect them to do the job that they've been hired for. But somewhere along the line, people have gotten in their minds that the, the responsibility of the deacon is not service, but that is to stand up and give my opinion about everything and run the show here. That's never, never what the Bible has called them to do. They have been called to service. And therefore, we find this, this is a service of con- it's condescension or humility. Humility. Secondly, this morning, not only do we see the deacon's service, but notice with me the deacon's standing as well. At this, we're going to go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We were there a couple weeks ago, but I want to draw your attention back to it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. We're going to begin in verse number 8. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8, in uh, verse 8 it says this, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. 
holy in the mystery of faith and a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of the deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be uh, the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So the deacon is responsible for maintaining a standing before the Lord and the church that is going to be a respectable one. And in doing such, he needs to be a man of character. We find that in verses 8 and 10. We won't belabor that point here today. But it isn't an unfortunate thing that character seems to be something lacking in our world today. But just because it's lacking in our world does not mean that the church ought to dip her standards. This is what the Lord expects, and this is what the Lord desires, and He will build His church. And so, therefore, He will equip those uh, who He would call uh, to His purpose. They need to be men of character, uh, men who would uh, be able to keep their word and be trustworthy. They need to be men of conviction as well. Verse number nine says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, sometimes we've heard people kind of mix the qualifications of a pastor and that of a a deacon as well and, and say, well, the deacon ought to be apt to teach. And thinking that it kind of means the same thing. And no doubt a pastor ought to be able and have the ability to teach and preach the word of God. But that is not the command here to the deacon. The command here to the deacon there in verse number 9 is to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That means that he ought to have something that he believes and also know why he believes it. Now listen... We probably all have been there in our, in our Christian life, and maybe someone you work with or somebody in your family, they say, hey, why do you believe that? Or, hey, why don't you do such and such? And you say, well, obviously, the reason why I do this or believe this, or obviously, the reason why I don't do that is because I'm a Christian. And then the follow-up question is the obvious one, right? Well, why does a Christian do that? Why doesn't a Christian do that? And then your answer is like, ah, because my preacher said so, or I mean, uh, that's just what has always been said at church, and we don't have a really good answer. My friends, when we don't have a good answer, that just shows some immaturity as a believer. Now, there's something to be said. Listen, don't get me wrong. There's something to be said for doing what is right, even though you don't know why you're doing it. That's, That's okay to do when you're young. When you're young in the faith, like when I tell my kids to go to go clean their room and they say, why do I got to clean my room? You don't need to know why you got to clean your room right now. You just need to go do it. And then as they get older, I I help teach them that the reason why they got to go clean their room and learn to clean the room now is so that they don't grow up and live in filth the rest of their days. All right. That's that's why I tell them. But when I tell them to go do it the very first time when they're five, like Carol Ann, they don't need the whole lecture on how you should take care of it. And cleanliness is next to godliness and all that type of thing. Right. They just need to go do what they're told without having to know all the answers. But see, as you grow, you will start to know why. And for a Christian who's been saved 20, 40, 50 years, and your answer for everything spiritual in your life is because, well, my preacher said so, or because my church does it that way, is a horrible indictment on your immaturity as a Christian. That ought not be the case for a deacon. If that's you, God bless you, and please pray that you'd allow us to help you grow in that area. We've got plenty of ways to do that. But we're not going to ordain deacons who don't know why they believe what they believe. 
And a deacon needs to believe, believe something and know why they believe it. They need to be men of conviction. They need to be men of commitment, as the beginning of verse number 12 says, as they are husbands of one wives. They need to be men of commendation, as the latter part of verse number 12 says, as uh, they rule their children and their own house as well. What that means is this, that the deacon must be a man who takes the lead in the home, especially in spiritual matters. And my friends, that ought to be the case for every household. The man ought to lead the home and do it spiritually well as well. also. We are living in a day and age where we are just anemic in our families for the leadership of good godly men. And God has called men to rise up and to, to, to lead their families. But particularly when it comes to one who's going to help minister in the church and to set examples, obviously he ought to lead his family well. Now, it's important to note this, that he does not tell the, the husband to lead his family through a heavy hand or out of fear. He tells the husband not to lead uh, because he creates submission by violence or abuse, but he tells the husband to lead in such a way that his wife and his children would be happy to follow his example and happy to follow his lead. See, there's a difference between making people follow you and having a following. And that's what God is expecting of us men, and especially in this area of a deacon. And lastly, this morning as we close, we not only see the deacon's service and the deacon's standing, but notice thirdly the deacon's stability. In verse number 13 of that same chapter, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and, re and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. See, there's several things that this verse teaches us. And that as the deacon is stable in his life, he helps bring stability to the church. Would you agree with me today that we live in an unstable culture? Change everywhere relationships are starting and breaking out on the, the, the smallest of whims. I mean, we can't even decide what bathroom we're supposed to use today. We're talk, talking about instability, uh, unstable today. Our world is unstable. And in a world of instability, the church ought to be stable on the solid rock. And those that help bring stability are going to be the ones who uh, uh, set the example. And that's part of the, the responsibility of a deacon, to set the example. And he's going to be one that brings stability to the church, but he has to be stable in his own life to do that. In order to do that, he must be a man of confidence. Verse number 13 says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased themselves a good degree. That phrase, a good degree, has the idea of a grade of dignity and wholesome influence within the church. It means that they're trustworthy. It means that they are dependable. And so, therefore, they are people that could be, uh, have, people could have confidence in. That means that when people come for counsel, they're confident that they're going to be given wise, godly counsel. Does that mean that the deacon knows everything? No. But it does mean that the deacon is going to give a godly answer to the question, to the counsel that is being sought. And if they don't have the answer, they're going to say, let me pray about it and search the answer for you. See, sometimes we can get so guilty of thinking we have to know everything that we make something up on the fly that isn't biblical. And that's not being led by the Spirit. We need, to, we need men that are going to be men of confidence. 
We need men of counsel as well, as I just mentioned, because it says there in verse number 13, and great boldness in the faith. That word boldness speaks of freedom in speaking, unreserved in speech, and without concealment. It has the idea of free and fearless confidence, one that uh, is bold and courageous. So therefore, the deacon must be a man who is able and willing to offer godly counsel. If you've ever been asked your opinion or godly counsel on a particular kind of sensitive matter, you know how hard it is sometimes to give an honest opinion about it. Because when you love someone, which I believe many of us love each other, like the Lord would, would desire for us to, when we, when we love one another and they come to us and, and there's obvious sin or bad direction that's going, it can be hard to say, no, you, you, you're on a wrong course, buddy. But we're not looking for individuals that are going to tickle ears. We need individuals that are going to give the truths of God's word. We see that these men, if they're going to be stable, they're going to be men of Christ. The last words of verse number 13 says, which is in Christ Jesus. Everything that is performed and everything that is carried out has to be grounded in Christ or it's for naught. These are spiritual matters we're talking about. The church is God's vessel. The church is His bride. And therefore, if we are going to do what He would have us to do and function the way He would have us to function, we've got to be leaning. We've got to be yielded to Him. If, we're going, if a deacon's going to serve and minister well, they've got to have a close relationship with God. They first have to be saved. And they have to spend time with the Lord daily. See, the congregation needs individuals who can provide a godly example and to help minister in great times of need. And that is impossible to achieve apart from one having a close relationship with God. Now listen, my friends. I said this a couple weeks ago. I know not everybody was here. I want to say this again, though, that this message is for every one of us here today. If you consider Mountain Vista Baptist your church home, it is important to you today twofold. Because one, you are either in the group that you ought to be praying for our current deacons and praying for our future ones. We, if we need men of Christ, if we need men of character, we ought to be praying that God would equip and make those men exactly what He needs them to be. That they would, that they would be able to withstand the temptations of the world and, and that they would be able to stand true and bold and faithful to the Lord and do what is necessary. We need to be praying for these men and praying for the future deacons of our church as well. Or you might be in that group where God is going to be equipping you to be able to serve in that role. Therefore, you ought to be praying that the Lord would use you and that you just yield yourself wholly to Him in whatever way He would desire for you to be, to be used within His church. I know it's Mother's Day, and that some came to church today with their mom, expecting some fluffy, flowery Mother's Day sermon. And I've done it before, and I'll probably do it again. But I believe with all my heart that more important than having a nice special themed day is declaring, thus saith the Lord. Amen. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And we are in, we're currently in this series. And I believe that everything is going to rise and fall out of our relationship and understanding 
of what God expects of us as a church. Can I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, here this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we'll have a simple time of invitation. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I know that I would spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. Could I just rejoice with you? Slip your hand up and right back down. If that's you, hands all across the auditorium. Praise the Lord for that. I wonder if there's anyone here. I know we didn't spend time really focusing on our need of salvation and need of a Savior. I know we didn't, you know, just focus in on the gospel message here today. But the word of God will never return void. And so I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, Pastor, honestly, if, I, if I'm just going to be honest before God today, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know that I've ever been born again. And I want to embarrass you or anything like that, but could I just pray for you today that the Lord would be able to give you the faith to be able to trust him, to recognize your need of him. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I just don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know I've ever been born again. Could I pray for you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you here this morning? Anybody like that? And one last question. As I mentioned right at the end of the message, this matters for all of us because it matters for our church. So if you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I'll pray with you for the deacons that we currently have. I'll pray with you for the ones that the Lord is going to equip and raise up in the future. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I'll pray with you. I, I, I pray, pray with me that I would just yield myself to the Lord for his service. And if he would call me and equip me, that I'd be ready. That I would be, be usable and, uh, and just a, a tool for the Lord's service. In either of those scenarios, if you'd say, Pastor, I'm praying with you, or Pastor, please pray with me. Would you slip your hand up and right back down so I can do such? Hands all across the auditorium. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. The piano is going to begin to play. If the Lord spoke into your heart, I hope that you'd come and respond accordingly. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness and love. And Lord, we ask now that you would just bless our, our time in this invitation, and that your will would be accomplished. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As